Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pittsburgh Pirates Rant Podcast. It is a Sunday in the dead of winter. Uh, Pretty much between January 15th and February 15th, it's the coldest time in Pennsylvania and other areas of the country. So, particularly cold now that um, baseball is in a lockout, and we pretty much don't have much going on. But as you know, it's always baseball season here at the Pittsburgh Pirates Rant Podcast. And we are on the line with someone in the middle of Missouri. Cool Hand Luke is his name. He does a um, uh, pod, he does a podcast for Locked On Cardinals. And I know when Pirates fans hear that, they get like a cold, you know, sort of like a, um, a rush down their spine because uh, the Cardinals are seemingly always good. And the Pirates are not always good. So we'll talk about how that organization is run. You know, I personally think that it's one of the best organizations in all of sports. Um, but let's see if we got him on the line. Uh, Luke, you with us? I am, Ryan. How are you? Hey, Lucas. How you doing? I am well this morning. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah, man. So you watch any of the football games this weekend? I did. I watched both of them yesterday, and it was quite the finish to both games. Holy cow. I thought it was good uh, games. Drama yeah. at its best. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I like watching uh, the Bengals. Um, I thought Please. it was I thought it was impressive that um, you could still have a good game as a quarterback and get sacked like what seven times or something like that. I think it was nine. Yeah, I mean wow. he got up and it was <laughs> incredible. That's insane. Nine? That's that might be a playoff record then, right? Uh, it, it's up there. I forget what the actual um, record was, but it was quite impressive what he was able to do on the road and you know that rookie kicker hitting the 52 yard field goal to, to win it for the first road playoff win in franchise history and i thought the same thing man i'm like this kicker just seems to like have the perfect um motion i mean he does yeah uh, you see like when his foot hits the ball it just comes straight up you know mm-hmm. and, absolutely and his 50 yard kicks look like they'd be good from like 65 you know what i mean Oh, yeah, there was no doubt on the kick that he, he nailed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, where did he go to college, do you know? I forget, but, they, like, the Bengals drafted him. Like, they didn't Fifth uh, round. They drafted yep. him in the end. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I forget where he went, though. Yeah, so are you, uh, do you dislike the Cincinnati Reds, or what's your feeling on that team? I mean, I don't know. I think when I was younger, I definitely disliked teams that were in the NL Central. At this point, it's more of a, yeah, not not a huge fan of them. I was used to growing up a Cardinal fan and now covering them for the podcast that I host. But I don't know. I think the, the madness of been at the Reds was the fight that they caused in 2010 and yeah. Castellanos uh, scuffle that happened early in the 2021 season. But other than that, at, at this point, it's just more of a um, hope they lose more than more than a dislike type of thing overall. Right now, anyways. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you say that because I want to say that the Reds have had a couple brawls with the Pirates over the last few years as well. They're just. I don't know. They seem to get in scuffles, man. Yeah, Red Empire seem to have their fair share of scuffles. That's true. Yeah. I mean, if you're the Pirates, what do you got to lose? You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> I mean, it kind of sucks. Um, yeah. Yeah, there was actually a Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, he is a uh, prospect named Cannon Smith Nigma, and they call him CSN. And mm-hmm. he, he actually got into a scuffle in the Arizona Fall League, <laughs> which is like a oh my developmental league, right? Right. Yeah, like... Um, Somebody hit him with a pitch, which you probably followed the Arizona Fall League. I mean, the pitching was dreadful, right? Right. Yeah, the standouts are really good outside. I mean, for example, Jordan Hicks was in that league for a couple weeks, if, if that, and did not pitch very well. But the Arizona Fall League pitcher of the, you know, the, the all, you know, all 
all an AFL team was from the Cardinals. So you're either top notch or not very good in that league. Yep. Yeah. And, um, so, uh, what do you know about Jordan Hicks? Yeah, I mean, he's somebody that, you know, obviously can, can light up a radar gun that has struggled with injuries in, in his career, you know, and he's, he's somebody that, you know, if you, if you put him in the back end of your bullpen, that makes your back end of your bullpen that much better. I mean, not a lot of people can hit 102 with sink and then also try and hit an 89 mile an hour slider. Yeah. Uh, it, it's quite the arsenal that he has. The, the two problems with, as pretty much with any bullpen arm, it's consistency and it's uh, staying on the field. Uh, consistency is in throwing strikes. You know that that movement at 102 is hard to control. So I think that if he, even if he can get that movement at 99, you know, or 98, 97, even with that movement, he's going to be just fine. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how he develops this year. He's going to have a full off season of, of health. Um, you know, been no report of any setbacks or anything. But yeah, um, he's, he's one of those guys that can absolutely. He's must watch television when he's on. To be honest, with you, he's one of those guys that you just have to see. Um, and that he's going to be in the highlight reels with, with how nasty his stuff is. It's just a matter of can he stay on the field. Yeah, it just seems like there's so many of these guys now in baseball that have like electric arms. And I think the Arizona Fall League kind of showed you that uh, there was like eight walks per game on average uh, in the AFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just kind of shows you that every team has a few of these fireballers. I think I want to say like. The Detroit Tigers kind of started that stuff, you know, with like when Verlander and they had a bunch of guys that threw hard. And then now it's like every team has a few guys that throw upper 90s in their minor leagues and they kind of want to bring them up to be a back of the end bullpen guy. But um, I don't know. A lot of these guys either get hurt or they just can't throw strikes. It's tough. It's tough having a guy in the eighth inning that can't throw strikes because you don't want to walk like your first two batters on base, you know. Absolutely. I mean, you go back to the 2013 Cardinals as well. They had a bunch of flame throwers in that bullpen. Toronto Rosenthal and Carlos Martinez in the bullpen at the time. But, yeah, I mean, even last year with Alex Reyes, the closer for the Cardinals, had an all-star first half campaign and then just couldn't find the strike zone in the second half so much so that he lost his closer's job. So it's not even just the eighth thing that these flame throwers are having a tough time throwing strikes. Uh, it's You know, at the end of the day, some of these pitches move so much that batters swing through them. But on the days where batters aren't swinging through the wild, yeah, pitches, yeah, 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 that's a problem. Hard to, hard to get the control. You have to command your fastball enough to where they're going to swing at the hard slider, you know? Um, right, Because exactly. otherwise, you just take the walk. Uh, yep, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and when I was looking over the Cardinals, um, this isn't the very top guy, but this is a guy that is a freak, sort of like O'Neill Cruz on the Pirates. Um, there was a guy named Mason Wynn. Uh, he's pretty young, um, but he's mm-hmm. like a shortstop. Like O'Neill Cruz, but he's also a pitcher that throws a hundred miles an hour. I mean, what's the deal with that dude? Yeah, he, the Cardinals are, are pretty high on him. You know, he's obviously, like you said, not necessarily it's one of the, the top three guys. When you mention the Cardinals' top three, you're getting uh, Gorman, Walker, and Libertor in, in any order that you want to go there. But uh, Mason Wynn is somebody that you know, obviously, you don't see too many guys outside of Shohei Otani go both sides of the baseball for too long in their career. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how long Mason Wynn does play both sides of the baseball um, in professional baseball. But he's somebody that the Cardinals obviously have very high hopes in and that they, they, they think that he can produce either as a pitcher or as a as a hitter. You know, it's really either or. So it'll be interesting to see how long they're willing to let him do both. Because at some point, I do think they'll have to, or he will have to choose, in my opinion. Yeah, and funny enough, he's he's a year older than a guy that the Pirates drafted named Bubba Chandler who also throws in the high 90s. Um, this is a guy that was drafted to be a quarterback 
for um, uh, Clemson. And I saw an interview with him, and he wasn't too stoked about studying all the books and going to Clemson as being a football agent. So, yeah, I mean, he was like, decided to go baseball. I mean, the guy likes baseball. And he, uh, the ball kind of explodes out of his hand, just kind of like win. But um, he wants to try hitting. I, I'm not sure. I don't know if you heard of Bubba Chandler. I'm not sure if he, if he's as good a hitter as win, but, and I'm not sure if he's going to give up on hitting or try to be a, you know, a two way player or not. But I guess Otani kind of, you know, uh, some of these young guys in college must look up to Otani, you know? Oh, absolutely. It's hard for anybody not to look up to Otani, but what he's doing, you know, he's basically doing what little leaguers do at the highest level of professional sports. Yeah, he's like when you see those college football players that um, they're one of the better players on offense and defense and special teams, you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, like you do uh, everything. Like, like that one player, I forget what his number or name was, but number 19 for the 49ers yesterday. Was a great running back, had a good return on special teams. He basically did it all except for defense. So it's it's fun when players are able to do things on uh, both sides of the ball, whether it's football, baseball, whatever, whatever, what have you. It's 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 very impressive because they're doing it at the highest level. So we'll see how long um, Mason wins able to do both. But um, he's they're very high on him on both sides. Yeah, and Jordan Walker is sit- now his stats aren't as good as a guy um, in the pirate system named Nick Gonzalez, uh, Nick the Stick Gonzalez. But there's a couple guys. Um, actually, I don't know if it's Jordan Walker because he's young. Um, but there's a guy named Gorman that could come up next year to be your second baseman if you need him. I mean, what's your second base situation on the on the major league squad? Well, really, it's the middle infield that, that's interesting to me. You have... Uh, Really, you're going to have a mixture of Tommy Edmond, Paul DeYoung, and Edmundo Sosa. You have three guys really fighting for two spots. And this is all uh, assuming there's no designated hitter as well. If you have a DH, then you have Nolan Gorman in the option. Then you have four guys fighting for three spots. So it's all up in the air. But it's interesting because Tommy Edmond likely has one of those positions on lock. Yeah. He can play either one. He plays second base at a high level, okay. uh, defensively especially. So that'll be your second baseman most likely. Yeah, because he's the not going to be your DH. He's too good at defense, you know? Why DH exactly. him? Exactly. Yep. Right. The, the two DH options, internally, in my opinion, would be Nolan Gorman or Paul DeYoung. Uh, and it's just a matter of, you know, a lot of people want the Cardinals to go after Trevor Story once this lockout resumes. Uh, but there was a story out yesterday, or two days ago, or Thursday, three days ago, uh, that Paul DeYoung has been working with um, an instructor that he hired in Florida and work on a routine, and the Cardinals are basically assuring him that he's going to be the opening day shortstop. So Nolan Gorman is definitely somebody that probably is major league ready. And if he impresses enough in spring, he's probably at that level where you don't need to keep him down just to get playing time. You know, there are certain guys that you keep down just so they can play every day, right? Yeah. But I think yeah. Nolan Gorman is yeah, one of those he's players. Yeah, twenty-one. That if you, you know? need to, right? If you need to bring him up to even be a bench bat, I think that Nolan Gorman is the type of the guy to do that. And at the end of the day, he can play second base on a day that Edmund needs off, or if somebody gets hurt, if like he'll he'll be the first call up if the middle infielder gets hurt, in my opinion. Yeah, and from what I've read in national stories like ESPN and The Athletic and stuff like that, um, I don't think that the Cardinals are stoked to to have a big, like another big um, contract like Trevor Story because they gave Nor- Nolan Arenado a lot of money. Um, I believe you still have Goldschmidt on your books. Um, and, you know, a lot of teams like the Cubs have lost some money in 2020 during the pandemic. I'm not saying that the Cardinals are bleeding money by any by any means but uh i don't know if they're willing to take on another huge contract f- 
from a Colorado team. You know, I don't. We'll see what happens, but yeah, the thing about that, like they they do have money to spend, is what everybody, uh, all the you know, Cardinal fans. Well, they have payroll they flexibility. Yeah, right. Because they got Carlos Martinez off their books, Dexter Fowler and Matt Carpenter all in the, all in the last year, as well as Andrew Miller off their books. So they used that money so far to re-sign Adam Wainwright, to re-sign Yadier Molina, to re-sign T.J. McFarland, the left-hander out of the bullpen. Um, as well as Steven Matt, who is, in my opinion, a very solid pickup, left-handed starter uh, from Toronto, uh, originally from the, the Mets, obviously, that's where he made his name, to a four-year, $44 million deal. That is not necessarily a cheap deal, but if Steven Matt does what he's able to do, that could work out very nicely for the Cardinals. Is Steven Matt is a ground ball pitcher, and the Cardinals have one of the best. It's another one of those, I think he's baseball. another one of those ex-Mets that was supposed to be like, a, you know, the Mets had like five mm-hmm. aces. You know, and one, right. yeah, and and they only have like one left, but um, they've gone to other teams. Matt's is like another one of those guys, right? He's been injured at times. He's looked really good at times. Some years he's had like a five ERA, um, right? But you hope that he's older now and that he finds some consistency, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like I mentioned, that the ground ball rate is really what drew, I think, the Cardinals to him because the Cardinals have gold all around their their defense, and if it's not gold, it's pretty good silver, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Of, of how good their infield defense is, though. So, you know, Stephen Matz, really any pitcher, shouldn't feel the need to strike everybody out, you know, from the Cardinals' perspective, if they can just um, get the ball on the ground. So I think Stephen Matz is a deal that, you know, on its own, like if the Cardinals, that's all the only move the Cardinals make this offseason, that's not a great offseason, right? But if they're able to pair yeah, Stephen Matz true. with a bullpen arm or two, right? Because right now they lost Luis Garcia to the Padres, uh, if they're able to, to get a bullpen arm, whether it's a uh, lefty like Andrew Schaefer or Brad Hand or a right-hander like Ryan Tapera or even trade for somebody like a Craig Kimbrell, you know, who knows? But if they're able to pair that with somebody with another move, then that's where the Steven Matz deal looks really good from a Cardinals perspective. Yeah, it's a bullpen league, man. I mean, they could do what the Braves did and just wait until the deadline and load up on some bullpen arms because there was over 50 relief pitchers traded at the deadline last year, and that's something that's becoming like an annual event. Did you notice that? Yeah, they're a hot commodity. You know, you look at the World Series championship teams of the past, you know, they're the ones that have the good bullpen that are able to last into October. Yeah, yeah, and even teams that are good in the regular season, like Tampa Bay, generally have some of the best bullpens in baseball, you know? Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. And it's it's what's so difficult about the market is that you don't know. um, I really still think it's hard to figure out what to pay them. Yeah. A number of years ago, the Rockies went all in and signed three or four bullpen arms. Two or three of them had awful seasons. You know, so it's hard to really judge when a reliever is going to have a good year. And it's also it, it can be hard to judge how, or like, what stats to use. Because, like, for example, the basic stat of ERA is really not a great stat for a bullpen. Yeah, I like arm whip with in. bullpen because you don't want to walk guys, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I prefer that. A good one. Yeah. So, but it's it, it still just it's hard to. To predict almost when a bullpen guy is going to have a good year versus oh, yeah. a great year versus a bad year. Absolutely. So they're a hot commodity, but they're hard yeah. to judge. Yeah, I mean, um, that's one of the reasons that the players have been making less money in the last three years. Number one, teams are more likely to go with younger guys than sign like a 30-year-old guy that's been around the block a few times. But number two, right. like closers are sort of – you mentioned Kimbrell – Closers are sort of a dying commodity, and teams are going to the Tampa Bay um, way where you have a bunch of really good middle to late relievers, and you, you don't necessarily have to like 
put a label on these guys, you know? And if you don't put a label on them, you could pay them less, you know? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, I think depth of the bullpen is is important. I was a little surprised that, um, maybe not surprised, um, but re-signing Yadier Molina, if you look at it from someone who's not a Cardinals fan, uh, his on-base percentage was under 300 this year, and his ops was 667. So even for a catcher, you know, this is a guy whose bat is declining. Um, he had 11 bombs. Um, do you think that uh, Molina, it, do you think this is his last year? That's what he said. Uh, that, that, that Him and Wainwright have both said that they re-signed Adam Wainwright as well. But this will be their last season. Um, they're retiring at the end of the year. I think that, you know, because Molina said back, and I believe it was 2018, that he was going to retire at the end of that contract, which at the time, 2020, would have been his last season. And then you saw the pandemic, obviously, and the, the shortened season. So he wanted to play more, so they signed him to two more contracts. But I do believe that this will be his, his last season. I think that this season also, if you know, if the Cardinals want to get the most out of that catcher position, Yadier Molina probably won't start 145 games. Yeah, I mean, he's you almost know? 40, right? I mean, he's Tom Brady. Right, but I mean, yeah. he, he, like, he's been a model. Of, well, yeah. You know, yeah. Maybe not consistency at the plate. And I'll, I'll, you know, I'll concede that argument, but consistency behind the dish. I mean, it's just unbelievable what he's able to do day in and day out for it's going to be 18 years, 18, 19 seasons with the Cardinals, um, you know, catching every day for the, you know, for the most part in his career. And for the middle part of his career, actually having a, an above average bat, you know, from 2011 sure. to really 20, 2016, he had an above average season each and every year. Yeah, like 20 and to he, 25 home runs a year, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and even last year, for the first two months, he was the Cardinals' best hitter. Huh. Know, so I would not be surprised if he comes out in 2021 or excuse me, 2022, and hits well. Or he goes through stretches where he hits extremely well because he's one of those players that, you know, knows that he probably doesn't have the power that he used to have, but he can slap a ball to right field with the best of them. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So I think that Yadier Molina is somebody that, you know, again, like you said, if you look at it from a completely biased, completely statistical baseline, you're not going to re-sign Yadier Molina, right? But there's also the compact of, and again, not saying that the Cardinals, the Cardinals have been known not to do this, but paying for for who the player is, intangibly speaking. Well, I mean, he can, can he help, staff. like, the young pitchers coming up and, like, the young players yep. and stuff like that? I mean, the Pirates, unfortunately, traded their gold glove catcher. Um, but the reason yeah. the Marlins wanted him is because, hey, we want a guy that's in his third, and he's in his younger 30s, but we want a guy that's in his 30s that's going to be a leader, you know, that's going to, um, I don't know, kind of, like, help the pitchers along, you know, be a good role model, stuff like that. Right, yeah, exactly. Molina, you know, not only is he a great manager of pitching staff, but he can help the younger catchers, too. The Cardinals have uh, Andrew Kisner, who's going to be the, the likely backup this coming year, and a prospect. I was wondering if they had any prospects. Okay. Yeah, they, they really do. I mean, they, they had uh, Carson Kelly a number of years ago, and he never really panned out. They traded him to Arizona, and he's had a fine couple seasons, but they're really high on a prospect called Ivan Herrera. Uh, he hasn't played above the AA level yet, um, and they're still waiting for kind of his power to develop. But defensively, he has learned, he has talked about this, he has learned so much from Yadier Molina. So I think that a lot of people thought that last year would have been Molina's last year. This year, he would have seen what Andrew Kisner can do, and next year you start the Ivan Herrera era, for lack of a better phrase. But okay, hopefully anyway. Happen, yep. Right, I think what's going to happen now is that next year, it's just going to be a battle between Kisner and Herrera, because Herrera, 
is on track to be Major League ready next season. It's the same thing the Pirates are doing. They drafted a guy number one overall in Henry Davis that they're hoping to um, be their catcher of the future. I mean, the Orioles have Adley Rutschman, right? I mean, I think teams right. teams like to do this if they can is bring up a young catcher, you know, and not have to go on the um, the free agent market because you don't see a lot of good catchers on the free agent market. Right, and also you're able to develop that catcher in your system for years and years and years. You yeah, know? and he gets. A, uh, I think he gets like a, um, I don't know, a feel for the starters. You know, like what they like to throw and when and stuff like that. Absolutely. I mean, because you know, at the, end, at the end of the day, understandable. It's 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 easy, it's done to you know develop a relationship over an off season after a big free agent signing. But you know, you have these guys that are coming up with the pitchers year after year that know them and catch them every day and. It's just the camaraderie is so much different. So the appeal to have a catcher come up through your system is, you know, I totally understand that. Yeah, and I was looking at, well, your infield is amazing, but I was looking at Paul Goldschmidt. He is still signed through 2024. Um, I don't know, his AAV or whatever is probably like $30 million a year. Um, but he is still doing well from what I can see. I mean, his defense is still good. He batted almost 300, 31 homers. Depending on where you're looking, his war was between like a six and an eight. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. Goldie was a nice signing for you guys, wasn't he? Oh, it was it was unbelievable. I mean, John Mozeliak, the president of baseball operations, who still gets more credit than the GM does a lot of times because he's a name that's known. Um, you know, this is his front office gets some slack for not going after big names often, but you know, at the time of the trade, the Marcelo Zuna trade was a big splash. I mean, uh, and then obviously the Paul Goldschmidt Nolan Arenado trades have been have been great because you've been able to get them for really cheap, all due respect to the players that they traded over, uh, but you know, for what you're getting, you're getting them for pretty cheap, and in both cases, you've been able to get them in long-term extensions. Uh, Nolan Arenado does have, a, does have another opt-out after this season, which oh, I don't think will always spread about. Yeah, but uh, why would you opt out of St. Louis, you know? I mean, it's like a, well, I think Scott Rowland called a baseball heaven at one point. Absolutely, and you know, from Nolan Arenado's <laughs> yeah. standpoint as well, yeah. Signed this big contract at the peak of his career, and if he were to opt out and sign a new contract, he's likely not going to get that amount of money. Well, especially because um, now again, someone for looking from the outside, but he struggled early on, and it's, it's a reason why his at the end of the year his batting average was only two fifty five. But even with those early struggles, this guy had thirty four bombs and a hundred and five RBIs. I mean, with really good borderline gold glove defense am i right no but borderline platinum glove defense <laughs> yeah I mean, he, he is yeah. somebody that um yeah he had some low offensive numbers in the season for his career norms but people were kind of saying oh he still can't hit outside of course field yeah, he got off I to call. a slow start yep i remember seeing yeah. that but, yeah but i still think that he's somebody that can hit anywhere uh, i think that the year two i always look at year two after a big acquisition as the year it's year one, it's like you mentioned, you get off the slow starts, you have these big expectations with you, you know. So year two, you're, you're settled in, you're settled in with the team, with the community, with the with the, the coaching staff, and things of that nature. So I think that year two will see good things from Arenado. But both these guys, most for Arenado, have just been anchors at first and third base. The, yeah. You know, Goldsmith's the best first base from the Cardinals have had since Albert Pujols. Um, and there's just no question about it. And Nolan Arenado is the top could arguably make his way to a top five third baseman in Cardinal history. Um, I think he's a top, he could be a top 15 third baseman of all time when it's all said and done, if he keeps going and the trajectory gets going. Hmm. So Yeah, I don't see why just, not. 
yeah, you're not just paying or getting the, the offense, it's the defense, it's the leadership, it's, it's all the intangibles, you know, it, it's the buzzwords, the, 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 the leadership, the, the ability to step up, but it's, it's all these things that both the Goldsmith and Arnauto bring to the table and their anchors in that lineup. And I think that the, if the Cardinals want to get the most out of those two, the, their window to win is in the next two years. Yeah, and like I uh, said, um, the uh, the Cardinals, and we'll get into the window a little bit later, but I mean the Cardinals, the reason I say they're one of the best organizations in sports is because they might not go out and sign every free agent like the Mets, and the Mets are one of the worst organizations in sports, but they bring in the right guys, man, like Goldschmidt, Arenado, and then not every prospect is going to make it. Like Dylan Carlson was up and down. He was a mixed bag. But Tyler O'Neill, this guy looks really good. I mean, this guy could be as good as, like, I don't know, like Acuna and guys like that, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, he had an up-and-down... O'Neal was the guy that, in my opinion, had an up-and-down career to start. You know, 18 oh, yeah, well, he's a, he was a prospect, though, right? So, I mean, you expect yeah. that. Yeah, so people were kind of expecting her... You know, they thought he was going to be a Randall Grichuk 2.0. Somebody with all the power in the world, but just never put it together. And, and Grichuk's put together a nice career in Toronto, don't get me wrong, but, you know, Tyler O'Neal has proven the Cardinals right in terms of giving him time for at least one season. You know, 34 yeah. home runs, he can hit 280, slug 560. Um, so he had a, a, an exceptional year. Now, with every, almost every other player, the same question is going to be, can you do it again? <laughs> you know, is O'Neill going to have the ability to, to put together numbers again and to be a top, you know, top five, top ten left fielder in baseball for a second consecutive year? Because, you know, he was hurt for a couple different stints in the yeah. IL last year. And yeah. I think he's, if he stays healthy, he's really in the MVP conversation. And well, he did get some MVP votes. I think we tend to forget, I mean, especially someone in your generation where you're just graduating college, like um, the players, a lot of times, and we talk about you know, the last couple guys we talked about with the Cardinals are in their 30s. I mean, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's players that come up at age 21 now, like Juan Soto and whatnot, but there's a lot of players, if you go back in the history of Major League Baseball, that don't peak until they're 26, 28. And Tyler O'Neill is only 26 years old. So even though he struggled and, you know, he was a mixed bag early in his career and had some injuries, I mean, he's coming into his first year of arbitration. He's 26 yeah. years old, and he's coming off an MVP-type year. I mean, I would think you're pretty happy to have this guy. Oh, without a doubt. I'm, I'm not trying to be too pessimistic about it. <laughs> I think, personally, I've talked about this on my show frequently, that I think that's outfield. Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, and Dylan Carlson have the ability to be one of the top outfields in all of baseball. Yeah, who's I, the, I, I wholeheartedly believe that. Who's the other because guy? All, I mean, uh, we're familiar with um, Carlson because he was the young, uh, you know, the young prospect this year. You know, he was considered to be maybe one can get some Rookie of the Year votes or whatnot. Um, but Harrison Bader, um, what can you tell me about that dude? Yeah, Bader is somebody that is is a ball of energy. I mean, yeah, he's he, he isn't he like a scrappy big white dude. Yeah, he he brings it every every day. He's got you know, he's got the wild the, the, the big slow haircut and everything, and he, he loves he loves the moment for good, better, for worse. But yeah, he is somebody that is is polarizing in the Cardinal fan base on on Cardinal Twitter pages, on Cardinal Facebook pages for years. You either love this guy or you hated this guy because he had a couple of really bad, or at least one really bad season in 2019 that okay. people didn't. And the, but he would still do the, the antics of celebrating. Yeah, time on a home yeah, run. yeah. So, you know, old timers didn't necessarily like that when you were hitting 
205 and striking out twice a game, right? And uh, last year with a shortened season, he went through a, like a week and a half stretch of just unbelievable, or two years ago, unbelievable plays, so his numbers look good. But last year, when he was healthy, and he wasn't healthy the whole year, he was able to put it all together. You know, he's, he's never going to be a 280, 290 hitter, but he was able to hit, I think, 260-something, have a high on base, really good slugging percentage, and be consistent. And the, the, the big part of it is, it, it, it's a cliche, really, but he was able to lay off the slider from a right-handed pitcher. That was his Achilles heel for the first three seasons of his career. So he, he runs like the wind. He's one of the fastest people in all of baseball when you look oh, at Oh, really? That's speed. surprising. Okay. Yeah, when you look at his average sprint speed, the Cardinals have three of the top guys in baseball, not, not these three, but three of the top, and Tommy Edmund, Tyler O'Neill, and Bader. Um, but, but Bader is somebody that he won a gold glove this year. That will not be his last, in my opinion. Huh. But like I said, if all three of these outfielders, O'Neill, Bader, and Carlson, if they come together, all three of those players, when they're playing at their at their best, can they, they can they're their five tool players. So Bader's not hit. afraid to dive for the ball in center field, right? He covers a lot of ground. Yes, I mean that was how he got hurt one of those times. He came yeah. in on a ball dive, dove, and uh, either broke or fractured a rib. So uh, he, he, like I said, lays it all out there, and I think that he's going to be a really good center fielder in baseball. I think that if he is able to stay healthy next season. I think he's a top 10 baseball. Yeah, he's a super-duper risky guy. He's probably a boomer bust because um, he got the gold glove. Um, he had 16 homers. He only stole nine bases. So, I mean, I don't think he uses the speed on the base pass as much as he could. But um, No, he's a horrible base. He's not yeah. a very good base He must not have good instincts. You know what I mean? Like uh, when to go mm-hmm. and, you know. Yeah, that, 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 that's... Outside of you know offensive consistency, that's what I want to see Bader improve on because uh, he he beats out you know if the ball is in on the infield slowly and you take your time, Bader's going to be safe right like that's the speed he has. But in terms of instincts and being able to steal bases and knowing when to go and not go and you know he, he's not a good base runner so that, that's the next step for Bader. But um, but I, I think all, all three of the outfielders can be five tool players. Yeah. They can hit, they can hit the power, they can field, they can throw, they can run. It's all three a, of them. So it, I'm excited for this outfield next year. It's a big year for Bader and Carlson. Uh, they both hit 266, 267. Um, they both had ops right around 780, 780. I mean, amazing. These guys' stats were pretty close. But they're at mm-hmm. that age where they could either boom or bust now, uh, you know, because they have, I don't know, I imagine, you know, Bader has like 1,200 at-bats. Carlson maybe has like 600 career at-bats or something like that. So you never know. Like they got to put it together, right? Yeah, I think that you know, I, it, it's hard for me to say that this is a make or break year for Carlson just because he is on the younger side. Uh, but for Bayer, I definitely think this is borderline make or break just with how um, his career has gone. You know, he, he put it together for one really, really solid above above average campaign in 2021. And like I said with O'Neill, with basically any professional athlete, he did it once, great. Can you do it again? You know, yeah, I, you never know, man. The Reds had I a guy who uh, the Reds had a guy who in the first two months hit more home runs than anybody, and then came back and hit 160 this year or something, um, Aquino right. or something like. So you never know. I mean, that's the problem. Now, if we turn to the Pittsburgh Pirates, and you do a locked on podcast, so you do know about prospects and stuff like that. But if you turn to the Pirates, I'm a little skeptical of um, the idea that you can just keep bringing in. Um, you know, waves of prospects, you know, never extending anybody, keeping your payroll around 40, 50 million, and ever beating the Cardinals in the division. I mean, you say that the window is two years, but some of these guys are pretty young. I mean, they still have some guys at the farm. They're willing to spend money. I mean, um, 
as a Cardinal fan, what's your worry level as far as, oh, no, the Pirates, you know? Well, from the Pirates standpoint? Yeah. <laughs> um, all due respect, it's not very high. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that, that the Pirates are, are an organization that it feels like have been in a rebuild ever since 2015 when they made the playoffs and lost to the Cubs. Um, they're, they're I, I, you know, I say that, you know, I, I never want to play the Pirates because it always also feels like they play spoiler a lot of the times. But I think that the Pirates are a franchise that if they're going to start competing, like you said, these prospects need to be called up and the prospects need to be extended. You know, I, yeah, I you got to keep Andrew some of these dudes, man. Drum. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, McCutcheon, he was a good draft pick. Right. He wasn't a first-round draft right. pick, but he's one of the few draft picks that panned out, you know? Like, um, right. Yeah, they kept him. I think, I, but they have a different yeah, GM now. You know, The GM now uh, seems to have this idea that we could keep a deep, um, you know, a deep uh, system. And, you know, maybe he hasn't extended anybody yet. I mean, I'd be surprised if he doesn't trade Brian Reynolds at the deadline, if he feels like he's getting max value. So I'm just wondering, like, do you think a team could ever win having a $50 million payroll forever? I mean, at, at some point, you're going to need to spend some money, right? I mean, you even look at the Rays, their model organization in terms of trading and getting players from the trade, but, you know, they're still able to spend some money on a, on a veteran arm like Rich Hill. You know, that that's the type of move that the Pirates... Um, probably wouldn't make right um in, in terms of, of signing somebody like that or, i'm sorry they Tommy, haven't lately you know i mean they uh, haven't Tony, lately Tony morton is, is the name that, that i was thinking of who the, who the race signed yeah um they had charlie pirates had charlie morton for a while but yeah um, right yeah but, uh that's that, who the rays were able to sign and you know they were able to, to use them in the postseason so i think you know trying to win at that level it, it's going to be have to catching lightning in a bottle. You're going to have to try and get, get Ryan Hayes extremely healthy. O'Neill Cruz called up really quickly. The catcher that you mentioned. Um, it's uh, Henry, I believe. Henry Davis, it's yeah. all these Henry Davis, yeah. It's all these guys that if you want to win at that pivotal and not spend any money, then you've got to bank on all these prospects hitting at one time. It's lightning in a bottle, you know? man. Yeah, and you got to keep exactly. them. See, they rarely keep guys into their arbitration years. I mean, they might want to trade right. Reynolds because... They can say, oh, this guy's got a few years of arbitration left, so he's going to get us max value. But are they trading him for max value, or is the owner in the background liking the fact that the payroll's only $40 million or $50 million? I don't know. I mean, I certainly you know, can't discount that you know, based on the owner's past. Right. I mean, I, I, it's very difficult to manage a payroll excuse me, manage a payroll like that. And that's one thing, you know, with these uh, labor negotiations in the CBA, you know, players want more accountability and they, they don't want player uh, owners to just sit at the payroll level and to just not compete. And yeah, they just want tank forever. Competitive, competitive baseball. And I think that, you know, from a, from a fan perspective, I'm sure that's what the fans want. I would say they would want more um, competitive baseball. Everybody wants their team to win, right? And the Pirates do have some history of winning. You go back to the We Are Family team, they, the Pirates had a really good, these are run from the early 2010s and, you know, made, went five games with the Cardinals in the National League Division Series that year, made the playoffs in 14 and 15, I believe. So, I mean, the, the Pirates have had decent seasons in the past. It's just a matter of, you know, being consistent with it, going out and getting some free agents. And it, it's, it's got to be a mixture. Every team that, that wins has a mixture. Well, the Cardinals have the best balance, I think. The Cardinals do, do it the best way. I mean, you guys were struggling mightily last year. But then, like, some of the young guys, like Tyler O'Neill, started to put it together, it seemed like, and carried the team on his back, along with guys that you had, 
you know, like Goldschmidt and, um, you know, the third baseman you signed, Arenado. Like, it right. seems like um, the Cardinals have, if, if one thing goes wrong, somebody else usually picks up the slack. But if you're a team like the Pirates and you're banking on somebody like O'Neill Cruz to carry your team, you know, who has, you know, maybe 10 career at bats or whatever, or you're counting on um, Rowanzi Contreras to stay healthy. You know, he's got the talent of a Jack Flaherty, but, you know, we don't know if he's going to stay healthy, just like Flaherty. And it's like, you know, it, if you carry a 40 to $50 million payroll every year, everything has to go right, you know? Right, exactly. That's what, I, that's, you know, that's what you said when you talk about catching lightning in a bottle. You, yeah. know, you, you just have to have the right tools, the right ingredients all at the same time. So it's extremely difficult to, to manage that and uh, that, that's why I think if, if you're going to win consistently, you've got to have a combination. And, you know, as much flack as the Cardinals off front office might get from uh, the Cardinal fan base and Cardinal fan base could, you could definitely argue is a, is a spoiled fan base that this front office does, does a really good job. You cannot argue with what this front office has done in terms of the individual moves, in terms of how they've, how they've won. You know, from, they haven't had a losing season, I think, since 2007. Uh, you look at how this front office and coaching staff managed the pandemic year, so, um, dealing with all those COVID cases and everything of that nature, how they were able to make some really under-the-radar moves um, last year at the trade deadline that somewhat helped them in the 17-game winning streak that they had. Um, it, it, it's unbelievable what this front office has been able to do. And, you know, like I said, they, they catch some flack and they get some criticism like anybody else does, especially from a Cardinal standpoint. But at the end of the day, this front office has won. Uh, they, they've won a lot of baseball games for the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, and the big thing about we, you know, you mentioned like the uh, the agreement. I mean, the big thing on the lockout, and we touched about it before we went on the air. As far as both teams look like they want this to last a little while because they think that they're going to gain some, um, you know, some leverage over the other side. Seems to me like the only thing they're they have to lose. The only thing they're losing is fans. I mean, not guys like you and me. We're going to watch baseball, but. As far as like the casual fan, even in you know baseball heaven like St. Louis, you, you might get a little annoyed if this thing goes into July and August or whatever, you know. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and already you're already at a point where Major League Baseball is probably the least popular of the four major North American sports in MLB, NHL, NFL, and NBA, and you're you're doing nothing but killing the fan base. Yeah. You know, I won't go as far to say as you're killing the sport. Uh, I, I, you know, MLB has a ton of money. I do think that the sport, is, in terms, I don't think it's dying, but I do think you're losing a heck of a lot of fans with this because, you know, like you said, you and I probably know a little bit more about the, the negotiations and the we'll, we'll follow along post negotiations. But to the average guy, to the average fan, they're just like, oh, these guys just want more money, man. Well, millionaires are arguing with billionaires. Yeah, why are they arguing about money? Because they want they want a bigger slice of the pie. Really does, and it's something that that's really it's bad for the sport. You know, base or basketball went through it a number of years ago, but I remember like they were able to come back on Christmas and have an opening day on Christmas, and that that was just really good for the sport and fun to watch, right? At least from my perspective, from the average fan. Now the average fan for baseball is wondering when is any of this going to get resolved because all they're reading about is how far apart yeah. the players' association and the owners are on any sort of deal. They're so far apart on anything that it's it's really, in my opinion, as we get deeper and deeper into the lockout, it's really unlikely to me that we start opening day on time. So and it's they really, it's just do they really care about sport. even bettering the sport? I mean, it's not even in their top ten. They'll they'll both mention you know competitive balance and teams like Baltimore and Pittsburgh. 
um, being more competitive against teams like the Cardinals. Um, but, you know, it's not like one of the top things, you know, like they, it, they just seem like, I don't know, the, the things that they're fighting over, it's like to the average fan, they think, oh, these guys just want a bigger slice of the pie. They just want more money. It's not really making right. the game any better. You know, like what's this all about? Exactly, and you, you have to really, really, really follow it to really even get that perspective. So it's yeah. really difficult. A lockout is, you know, nobody, no sport ever wants a lockout. I would say I wasn't trying to say that, but baseball is in a particular situation now where they really, really cannot afford this lockout for much longer. Yeah, and here's the thing. As a college kid, um, I start to see other things on ESPN, um, like, you know, soccer always gets, or football or whatever, always gets a little more popular with the young kids because maybe they played it when they were a kid. But also, like, um, like uh, MMA, you know, things like that, like these different sports are also slicing into, you know, what would be considered like a slow-moving summer sport like baseball, you know. And some of the old-timers, let's face it, I mean, they're dying off, you know. <laughs> like, baseball really needs... Um, some kind of a kick and it's like they're doing the opposite right now absolutely no no, no doubt about it, it it's, it's really sad for, for the fans like, like we tied off air they're only ones that like, the, the, the fans are losing in any situation whether the whether the players are 100% right in what they want or the owners are 100% right in what they want it doesn't matter it's right now the fans are losing and the fans should be the sole, the sole point of trying to get baseball back yes I understand um, you know manipulating service time more competitive baseball. These are very important issues that should be worked out. Like, yes, I agree. But also, let's meet more than twice in three months or two months to try and get it figured out. Well, you there's no saying? sense of urgency, that's for sure. <laughs> that's, no, that's, not, that's the big problem. That's the biggest yeah. thing to me. Is they don't care. We care as fans. People on Twitter care, you know? Like, we want to see O'Neill Cruz. We want to see if Dylan Carlson, you know, has a great um, sophomore year or whatever. But it's like... You know, we just want to watch baseball. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's pretty frustrating. I mean, um, yeah, I, I don't know what's going to happen with the lockout, although I think it's going to last a long time. Uh, I think with the with the division, um, it was interesting the way the Cardinals really came on at the end of the year. Uh, I think the Brewers' window is probably only two years because they have the aces. Um, they have, you know, they don't have as many... Um, guys in the minors as you guys do um and i think that the deepest team in the minors that has some talent is probably the reds uh they have two top of the line starting pitchers coming up um they have some young guys like their tyler tyler o'neill types and the rookie of the year that you know could take a step forward um the pirates you know i'm not sure where they're heading but um but yeah, I don't know if the Cardinals ever have a window. I mean, because like you said, they haven't had a losing record. You guys don't really tank. No, they're, uh, it's funny. Jeff Carr, who hosts Locked On Reds, who's a part of my network, is uh, always hates when I say this, but it, it's, it truly is the Cardinal way. You know, that the Cardinal way is not just what is done in the baseball field, but it's also how they run their organization in terms of perennial. Uh, being in the conversation of a top team in baseball seemingly every year, or at least being, you know, with this last year, being that the, the pesky guys that are trying to, to crash the party, you know, with the 17-game winning streak and everything of that nature sneaking their way in. So, 
you know, yeah, when, when you say there's a window, you, you always act like there's going to be a window. You know, you never know what's going to happen. But at the same time, there is a lot of confidence in the Cardinals' front office to continue to find ways to win, of uh, replenishing their um, minor league farm system or to go out and make a trade, to go out and sign a big free agent, um, or to, to just simply develop guys that nobody else would. You know, develop uh, you know somebody that isn't necessarily high on the prospect list but will still get the job done. That's the thing, and that's the thing about prospect lists. You never know, like... A lot of times, a guy that's like your 25th best prospect comes up and becomes a really good baseball player, you know? Because maybe he developed right. late, or maybe he wasn't like a first-round guy. Maybe he was like a fifth-round guy out of high school or something. But you never know. If you have a good system, you know, sometimes those are the guys that, you know, they might not be your star player, but those are the guys that win you championships, you know? Absolutely. I mean, you know, you look at Edmundo Sosa this past year who – Filled in for injured Paul Dion wasn't necessarily a, a top three prospect in the Cardinal system, but came in and did a very, very fine job. And I think he played 113 games at a 270 batting average and played a decent shortstop, stole some bags, had some extra base hits mixed in there. So he did a great job and wasn't necessarily somebody that a lot of Cardinal fans do before this season. Yeah, yeah I mean, he had a yeah. little bit of playing time in 2019, but you know he was somebody that really the Cardinals got to know, or at least the Cardinal fan base got to know this year. For the most part, liked what we saw. You know, had a couple of errors in the wild card games that didn't bode well, but um, at the end of the day, he did a he did a fine job in replacing Paul Dion at shortstop this year. Yeah, I mean, I like to find those guys. I mean, to me, I think that uh, as a baseball team, there's two things you can capitalize on the way things are now. First of all, teams are playing younger guys, especially teams that want to save money, like the Pirates. So if you can right. find like the Cubs' first baseman last year, after um, you know after their first baseman was traded. They found a guy who was 30 years old, had a 900 ops, you know, hit a bunch of home runs in August and September because those guys are out there, you know, and um, they are sometimes, you know, they have to take like a, a minor league invite to spring training because, hey, they're 31, right? They haven't had a mm-hmm. rock solid career. They're not Nolan Arenado. But I really think there's some diamonds in the rough. And then also... You have to do it on the international level. Um, so, did yep. you did you guys get anybody this year in the in the signing period? Uh, they were really happy about um, a shortstop named Mejia, and then there was another offensive bat that the name is, is escaping me. But uh, from the reports that I read, they're they're really high on on the Mejia. They just shortstop. They, 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 the, the comparative or the comp was to Javier Baez and his power. So. Um, I think that the, the Cardinals were happy with their international uh, bonus signings, uh, but I'll be honest, I, I didn't read too much into those. I, well, I, they're I so far off. The I don't read into it either, because come on, these guys are 17 years old. You get right. 50 of Well, I mean, the Brewers got 33 of them. If one of them hits, the Brewers are happy. You know? Exactly. The nice yep. thing about the international guys is sometimes they're willing to sign extensions for less money, like Acuna or someone like that, because if they're coming from Venezuela... Their families don't have much money at all, you know? Right. Um, so it's easier to sign somebody like that than somebody like the Pirates' third baseman whose father, you know, Charlie Hayes, was a Major League Baseball player, and he's a union guy, and he's, there's no way he's going to let his son sign a team-friendly extension to buy out his free agent years and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think international players could be the future of the game. I'd like to see a couple teams added in the Dominican 
or Mexico City, you know, or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Just because that's where people love baseball, man. I mean, you look in some of these cities like Tampa and Miami, you know, do you really love baseball? Because Tampa's talking about playing half of their games somewhere else, you know? Yeah, well, that, that, that proposal was uh, just shut down the last couple of days by MLB, but they are still, they're, they're still looking to move. It's crazy, yeah, uh, right? As good as they are. Real. I mean, can you imagine right. having, a, having a team that good that just signed Wander Franco to a 10-year deal and not want to go to the games? Right, exactly. They just don't I'm have really fans there, right? Yeah, it's weird. It does, it's a head-scratcher. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I guess we'll wrap this up. Uh, my uh, The app that I use... Um, you know, it only lets me do sixty-minute podcasts anyway, and we, you know, we all got stuff to do. But I was hoping if you could, uh, if you could tell my fans, you know, where they can hear you on your podcast and what other stuff are you doing? Do you do any writing? Um, I mean, you're just graduating college. Are you going to keep doing the baseball thing after you graduate? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's the goal right now. Obviously, it doesn't, you know, Lord knows what's going to change between now and May, but my plan is to do this as long as I can. But uh, your fans can find me on Twitter, at LJ Fastball. And then my Locked On show is at uh, LO underscore Cardinals on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, uh, you can find me on any podcasting platform, Spotify, Apple, Google, whatever you have it. And then my show is also on YouTube. Uh, so you just Google, oh, cool. lock, right. search Locked On Cardinals on YouTube. Make sure you find me and not the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, they can find me anywhere there. Got a couple articles out um, a while ago for KSDK, local news station in St. Louis. But nice. other than that, just working on podcasting right now and working on hitting the books a little bit here to, to yeah, man. Up and graduate. That's <laughs> what I tell my son, man. I mean, at least study. You can the college experience is great, but at least study enough, you know. <laughs> so yep, absolutely. All right, so um, if you want to see the video and you want to see Cool Hand Luke in person, uh, you can find him on YouTube. And otherwise, um. I guess we're just hoping that this lockout ends soon, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, even though, you know, you and I say that, oh, we'll follow afterwards and it's not a huge deal. Um, obviously, we still want baseball back as soon as possible. And it's, it's painful the more and more times that we, uh, you know, don't have it. So I don't know it's, about it's, you. I miss baseball, you know? Oh, I mean, like, yeah. Like, you know, I talked about this on my show, I think it was uh, Wednesday or Thursday, that I, I said, you know, we're not, like, missing out on baseball right now, per se, because there wouldn't be games happening. But you would have seen a ton of more movement. You, you yeah. would have seen a um, obviously you know more trades happening and more stuff to talk about and just more simply more baseball to talk about. You could have a better idea of the teams going into 2022. And you know, there's so many more things that we are missing out on. It's not just missing out on games. It's missing out on the conversations like this that we could have been having about actual baseball versus um, you know. What, what versus the lockout conversations because I don't think anybody wants to hear too much more conversations Ugh. about the lockout yeah that's why we didn't touch on it much you know it's like right. it's tired and um, right. for me when you're in the dead of winter I always look forward to pitchers and catchers and now we don't even know when that's going to be that's what sucks you know absolutely I mean that, that's like the first time of spring to me is yeah first day of spring <laughs> is pitchers and catchers man you're pumped right right it's like that old uh, Rogers Hornsby quote uh, he was asked what he does between um, the end of baseball season and, and uh, spring training. He says, "I look outside my window and wait for spring." <laughs> yeah, man, <laughs> and the fans do the same thing. Absolutely. All right, man. Good to have you. Um, hopefully, we get to uh, hear you again during the season, whenever that might be. And uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Watch some football. Absolutely, Brian. Thanks for having me on, and I uh, appreciate it. Like you said, hopefully, we get baseball soon. All right, peace out, Luke.